Now I'll give you a little hint that that song, It Is the Cry of My Heart to Follow You, I think is the heart of what Mark was trying to say in his gospel, that desire to be loyal to the Lord. Tonight, um, I'm thinking back toward a a commitment that I made early in in ministry, and uh, I had heard a set of tapes by a pastor named Dennis Kazar. And uh, Dennis um, went to Moody. His son went to Moody. His son roomed with my son's senior pastor guy. But you probably don't really care about that. But anyway, that's just, you know how that works. In Christian work, you Sometimes you connect with people over the years. Dennis Kazar did this series of talks that were powerful. He was a missionary in Brazil, and he came across an idea, a simple discipleship idea. And he he said, I'm going to come home to my home state, and I'm going to put that idea into practice. And he started in his living room with six people, and God gave them like a church of over, I think, 1,000 or 1,200, using this simple method of, of, of ministering to to uh, people one at a time. Men, in particular, him as a pastor, he decided that he would always be about training men, always have men that he'd be meeting with and training. And, and I listened to those tapes. Those were just so profoundly helpful to me. And I made up my mind then when I was really young that that's one of the things that was going to be in my ministry all the time, that I would always have men that, who wanted to be, have training if they show themselves faithful, and I would meet with them, and I would try to help them see whatever the Lord was teaching me and hold them accountable, and they would hold me accountable, and that's been really fruitful. Uh, it's been a neat part of, of my ministry. One of the guys um, that I spent a lot of time with in another state a long time ago was a guy who showed up one day at a funeral of uh, his boss, and his boss was his relative, and he stood. The, 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 the little church was full, and the man had a large business. If I told you about it, you'd probably some of you would know about the business in our town there, and I preached his funeral, and this guy, Steve, stood on the wall, on the back wall with a whole bunch of people standing up at the funeral. And then afterward, he sought me out, and he had problems in his life. And so I, I began to give him little opportunities, little, giving him little, little bait to take, if you will. And he, every time I'd give him that, he would take it. He was hungry. He was, he was eager. He was interested. And I began to meet with Steve. And I met with him every week for a long time, once a week. For a long time. And I have some wonderful memories of that. You know, one day we got together on one Saturday morning. It was in the wintertime, and we didn't have any extra money at all. And uh, when we got done with our little meeting, we walked out to my car, and we were saying goodbye. And he looked down, and he goes, you want to ride home? And I said, no, I'm fine. He goes, you got a flat tire? And I was waiting for that tire to go flat because it had gone bald a long time ago. And I never forget him going, let's get the numbers off of that. And we, go, we went downtown, and he bought this tire and had this tire put on my car. He had a boat. It was, it was a boat he'd kind of pieced together, and he liked to go bass fishing on Lake Erie. And so he said to me one time, well, would you and your boys like to go fishing? And the answer was, I answered the question he didn't ask, would you like to spend time with me? I said, well, Sure. Bass fishing on Lake Erie wasn't really something I always looked forward to, but I did want to spend time with him. I remember spending time with him. There was one thing that I always noticed about him was that he really appreciated Lois, appreciated her uh, loyalty. He would always say to me, you should really be grateful for your wife. I'm like, well, I am, I am. And he said, yeah, but I mean, you know, you really. And, 
and uh, he's really kind about that. He always would kind of remind me. He'd just, he'd just take it upon himself. He's a little bit older than us, and he'd take it upon himself every once in a while to just remind me about that. And the oddest kind of times, he'd just say that. You know, I think, well, okay, I'll take that, you know, from the Lord. And, and one day, not too long after that, he told me why. He'd been married three times and um, divorced three times. And uh, he lived alone. And he tried to walk the Lord, tried to seek the Lord. He's very, 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 very faithful. Every t- you know, you've heard that every time the doors are open thing. He was there. And when he, get, when he got to walk with the Lord, he was always there. And when he met with me, he was very faithful. And one day he told me, he said, you know, I never found a woman that would be loyal to me. I never found a woman that would be loyal to me. And a friend of mine one time came and said something about it. said, man, those, he told you the truth because those women were not good gals. They were not good gals. And there's something especially awful about disloyalty in a really intimate relationship. And isn't there something especially wonderful about that quality of loyalty, especially in an intimate relationship Mark, I believe, and I'll tell you why tonight as we just look at this book briefly, I believe that Mark had a very strong sense of this. Jesus was the kind of person who inspired loyalty, and he was the kind of person who demanded loyalty. He had every right. He still does today. Take your Bible and look in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 through 38 just for a little glimpse of this before we begin to talk here about the whole book of Mark in the flyover of the book of Mark. This is Mark chapter 8 verse 34, just a little example of something Mark put in the book. When he had called the people to himself with disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is one of the things that in Mark's short book, he and the Holy Spirit agreed to include. So um, it's just one example of many of the calls to loyalty that Jesus would give and that Mark emphasized. And Mark was written by a man named John Mark. The Hebrews would have called him John and the Gentiles would have called him Marcus. And he was uh, in Rome and wrote to Christians in Rome, and so he's known as Mark. The book, as you know, is only 16 chapters long. It's the shortest of the Gospels, and it's under 700 verses. And you probably know that it only takes an hour and 20 minutes to read the average reader. An hour and 20 minutes, yeah. That's just like a little Facebook time, amen? And, uh, yeah, just... uh, thought, you know, most scholars believe that Mark, some, many believe that Mark is the oldest of the Gospels, and there's some debate about that, but it's interesting that Mark is in the news, in the current news this year, it's like current events, that there is a, there is a, uh, there's been a discovery, recent discovery of a very, very ancient fragment of manuscript of Mark, and I believe a professor at Dallas, am I right, has kind of the inside track on that as a part of that. Did you have him as a, as an instructor, pastor, president, or no? Was it, uh, no, you didn't. 
Well, there you go. You need to go back for a refresher. Then, well, he had a lot of good ones. He gets this picture taken with guys like Chuck Swindoll and Howard Hendricks. And I was thinking I was kind of like name dropping myself. And I'm always jealous when I see that. And here I'm picking on you publicly. This is not something we're supposed to do, are we? Sorry about that. So I retract that last, uh, that last statement. But it's fascinating that this, uh, this recent ancient, ancient, ancient fragment of manuscript from Mark has been found and it's now being analyzed and published and studied, and it's very promising to be very, very old. It's just really interesting stuff, and so that's in the news, and you'll hear more about that. Now, there are a couple of things in Mark that are, that are emphasized in Mark, and one of them is the humanity of Jesus. Because obviously, you know this, and that, that Jesus is God, and fully God, and, and fully man. But Mark has a special emphasis on things that show the genuine humanity of, of Christ. The He's showing his hunger, his weariness, his fatigue, um, his faintness. Um, Percy Sands wrote this about, about that. We have to thank Mark's gospel for the vivid firsthand impression of Jesus the man. His looks and gestures, his wonder, his grief, his indignation, sitting in the boat teaching, sleeping on a pillow in the ship's stern, walking around the temple, taking in the scene, watching the gifts being dropped into the temple box, taking children in his lap, in in his arms. Mark emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. There's another emphasis in Mark that's really interesting to me, and and this one hits uh, close to home, and that is Mark also emphasizes geography like none of the other Gospels do. Even though it's shorter, it has more references to the geography of the, the land of Israel. Now, when we were up on Arabelle and that you picture that we, we show often in our visit to the Holy Land and we got a chance to climb this gorgeous, gorgeous mountain. Actually, the bus climbed it and we just climbed a little bit of it. This gorgeous, gorgeous mountain that's on the north uh, end, uh, edge there of the Sea of Galilee that looks down the lake. It's just a gorgeous, beautiful setting. It was in the spring of the year. I'll probably say this again if you've heard it. Sorry about that. It was just such a meaningful thing. And that, that was the time, of course, obviously, as I mentioned, watching a Lois Reader Bible and just thinking about her little girl in a Sunday school class, people telling her these stories. And here she is in, in, in a place where you can see see a lot of where those things happened. And um, our guide said, here's what I want you to read while you're here. This is a piece I hadn't told you before. Um, I'm not just senile, like repeating stories. Um, he said, well, maybe, but, but nonetheless, he said, uh, I want you to read the Gospel of Mark while you're up here on the mountain because you'll see so much here. While you read, you'll see places and so forth. And, and it is really, really a, a wonderful dimension of Bible study to pay attention to the places in the Bible. It is a wonderful dimension of Bible study to pay attention to the places of the Bible. You can do this now today, especially with the Internet, and you really can, is your Bible reading, make note of places and then look them up, and you can see videos, you can see uh, photographs. There are wonderful uh, popular sites that are easy to access, and there are scholarly sites if you want to dig a little bit deeper, and you, you, you have to have a, a little bit of care, but it's a, it really, today, it's easy for us common people to study the Bible. And I just mention this as we fly over Mark, and that is um, one thing that's wonderful and concrete about Mark is the concrete descriptions it gives of the humanity of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and the concrete descriptions that are given about the land that we also love, the land of Jesus. Jesus' life and birth and his return, the geography. And so what you really kind of have in, in Mark is neat. And I'm going to say this in order to kind of stir your heart to want to read Mark and want to read your Bible. What you have in Mark is really not like a lengthy 
uh, biography, I mean, if you had a biography of Jesus, wouldn't it be very, very, very long? The book of John says it would be in many books. It could, could not contain. Think of all the things that he did and all the subtleties, nuances, interesting things. But it was just, it's just a track. It's kind of a track aimed at, a, at, at achieving a purpose. But, but what, it, what it does is it uses a technique that moves suddenly. And if you read Mark carefully, you'll, you have to notice the, the repetition of the word immediately. Mark's always Boom, boom, boom. It's almost like if you can imagine in modern terminology, this is not a multi-volume biography of Jesus in multiple volumes. It's not. What it is is like a film, in a way, it's like a film documentary of two things, of the high points of Jesus' life and, uh, and emphasizing certain things that were very, very important. You'll, you'll see that in just, a, in just a minute. And so imagine, in a way, it's like a, a documentary would handle this, like a film documentary, and would cut from one scene to another swiftly in order for you to see the highlights of the person's life. And that's, what, that's the feel that you get. So Mark is a wonderful book for people with attention deficit disorder. And there we are again. If you like something that moves fast and it's a little shorter, Start with the book of Mark. Mark doesn't even actually begin with the birth of Jesus, but begins with the ministry of John the Baptist and the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And probably it could be said that one verse that kind of encapsulates and gives kind of a twofold outline of the book of Mark is in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Go ahead and take a look in Mark 10 and verse 45. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, sort of toward the center, if you will, in the book. And, and but Mark uh, 10, and uh, whoops, that's not correct, is it? Mark 10, 45 is going to be difficult. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, this is uh, from Mark 10, 35 to 45. You have a story here, of, and it's a second one in Mark about the disciples arguing about greatness. And when he gets to the end of the story, he's speaking to them, and he's with authority. He says, verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I want you to know this is not my, just my opinion alone that the book of Mark emphasizes service. Pastor Pine agreed with me, and he agreed with me before we talked about it. I thought that was sort of interesting because when I pop into his office and say, this is what I'm talking about, I'm looking at the order of service, and he had picked up that whole service thing. We didn't talk about that. He saw that. In the, in the book of Mark, and the emphasis of the songs tonight on the loyalty, the lifelong loyalty, the service. Um, and, and, and so it is uh, here. Just the heart of things you see really here when it says in verse 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served but serve and give his life a ransom. You really have the two big sections in the book of Mark, which we're going to see here uh, tonight. So Mark portray, portrays Jesus as a servant, and he portrays him as a servant on the move, instantly responsive to his father's will. Uh, it's interesting here, too, and this is useful to me, and that is when I walk through a bookstore, I mean, I look through the Christian bookstore, a, secu a secular bookstore, the Christian section in a secular bookstore is like a minefield of stupid, you know? It really is. If you know what you're doing, you can find a few good things there, but most of it is really, this. just, it's laced with all kinds of danger. It really is. A, a, the Christian section of a secular bookstore, you got to know what you're doing. As a matter of fact, I'll take just a second here because I was given a little extra time tonight. One of the things I do, here's a little secret, okay? Learn the publishers that are good, that you can trust. 
you know, like <laughs> Moody Press and stuff. You know, you know, just learn publishers you can trust. Um, and because that's kind of the quip that Moody, yeah, Schofield's Notes and Moody Press. It's an old joke I won't uh, impose upon you. But learn publishers that are relatively evangelical or trustworthy. And then w- when you go through the bookstore, don't look at the titles. Just look at the publishers. They're always on the bottom of the spine of the book. This is a little bibliophile trick that I'm going to give you tonight. No extra charge. No one, none of you are writing this down. You must not be all that impressed. I know what you want me to do. You want me to make a mistake so you can laugh at me like you did this morning. Yes, you enjoyed that too much. Anyway, look on the spine, and what you'll see on the spine is you'll see the publishers. If you see a Crossway publisher, it's like, yeah, it's probably got some theological weight to it there, you know. If you see a Zondervan, like, yeah, could be weird, could be weird. Could be good, could be bad. They don't care that much. Um, Just saying, you know, if you're publishing Rob Bell, you make me nervous. You know, I'm just saying, if you don't understand that, buy me coffee. I'll explain that to you. You just, everything that says Christian isn't, right? Buy Pastor Bresnall coffee. He's he's fresh out of seminary, ready to roll. He will help. He will take you to school on that. Any of the pastors would happily do that. It's a way that we get free coffee too. But anyway, or breakfast. But but anyway, nonetheless, you can look along there and you can see that on the spine of the book, you can see the publishers. And often that's kind of like, well, this might be worthwhile and this is dangerous and this is heresy, you know, that kind of a thing. Well, what's interesting is when you go in a bookstore, there are sections that I like especially. Christian books, I like to look at that. I also like to look at, this is a special kind of book I like to look for because it's usually very informative and concrete and interesting, and yet there's story. To me, there has to be a story. I can't keep going if there's not a story in here somewhere because that's the way I'm wired. So what I like to read, and I'm saying this for a very important reason because I think when I'm done saying this, it will make some of you want to read Mark, and that's one of my goals tonight. And that is this, travel narrative is some of the most interesting reading because, right, because what you have is a person telling a story about going somewhere, but they're putting in there all kinds of detail about food they ate, places they went, experiences they had, people they met. It's interesting. It's travel narrative, you see. It moves fast. It's a story, but you learn something while you're reading the story. It's very powerful. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. Mark is travel narrative. Of all the Gospels, Mark has less discourse and more narrative than all the Gospels. And it's moving all the time. It's moving very swiftly. Here's Jesus, and he's moving through the Gospel. And so you have a pretty neat, fast-paced, interesting Taught a, a book about Jesus. It's almost like travel narrative. And, and that would really be true in the book of Acts, too. You have a lot of movement. You have a lot of people you're going to meet. And interesting, so what a book this is, this wonderful book, the Bible. And I'll just tell you this. If you're young and, and you, you may be tempted to believe the Bible's a little bit like not as interesting as other things that just kind of grab you by the throat, the Bible will reward you for diligence in studying it. It will reward you in a deep way, like another like movie won't. You might watch a movie that has explosions and cool stuff and romance and all that, and you might like get a thrill out of that. You might also feel very guilty when you're done, and you might not. But the Bible rewards the diligent search. It just rewards it. So anyway, here I am now preaching. But that's Mark um, and, and a bit of Mark. So Mark now, interesting biographically, is closely associated with Peter. Now remember, when Peter was miraculously delivered from prison, remember that? And what was going on? He was miraculously delivered during what? A prayer meeting. And the prayer meeting was where? In, who said it back there? Yeah, Ray, I think you got this. It was in a woman's house whose name was Mary. Mary's a good name, isn't it? A lot of good Marys pop up here, here, there. And here's Mary. And she's probably a widow, a wealthy widow. And she has a son, and his name is Mark. 
This is Mark. And so that's in Acts chapter 12. Pretty interesting. Later on, Peter says that Mark was his son, perhaps his son of the faith. It may have been that Peter influenced Mark to know the Lord. Uh, the Bible teaches that Peter and Mark had a 12-year uh, relationship. And it's very possible that much of kind of the human source of information for Mark to write his gospel came from his association with Peter. But that's just kind of a scholarly guess. My scholars have fun doing that kind of stuff, and I have fun reading about scholars doing that kind of stuff. So I just want to stop tonight, and I want to say, would you have the book of Mark tonight to enjoy if you didn't have a godly mother, the kind of mother that hosted prayer meetings in her home? I mean, I just thought I'd throw that in here tonight. Isn't that interesting? Without a godly mother that hosted prayer would you have? She created these associations. She created these places, connected her son with this. Is that how it happened? It's interesting. That's just, to me, very interesting. So let's follow this twofold emphasis so that I'm not, so we're not here all night. And let's look at this as a basic view of Mark. And the basic sections, as I mentioned there in Mark 10.45, the Son of Man did not come but to be served, but serve and sacrifice. To serve and to give his life in ransom. What you will see is the servant piece is primarily in Galilee. And it's covered in chapters 1 through 10. And the sacrifice part is primarily toward the end of Jesus' life, final weeks of his life, and it's primarily in Jerusalem. And that's verse, chapters 11 through 16, kind of roughly half. That's kind of the closest we can kind of come to an outline because the book isn't really made to have a fancy outline. It's just this flowing narrative of things that are happening really fast and talking about what Jesus did. And then, and then it slows. Remember this, and the Gospels, I think, do this especially the synoptics, is you have a swift flyover of things that are happening, but then when you get to the last week of Jesus' life, there is this literary device that's used. It slows way, way down. And then the dialogue is more detailed, and then the time drags out, and there's more. What is that? That's emphasis. Emphasis on Jesus' work that he was about to do in his death and his burial, and his resurrection. The emphasis of the Gospels, Jesus came to be a servant, but he came to give a sacrifice, to be a ransom. Now let's just look at this as kind of a quick, and this is very, it's going to frustrate you. You're going to have to read it on your own, but this is just a swift, swift, um, and we could, you know, tell stories about each one, but maybe we'll get to preach through this someday. In chapter 1, an initiation of the ministry of Jesus is baptism. There are stories of conflict, and this is something that Mark sets up here, regularly showing the conflict. And I think, again, this is setting up our, who's going to be loyal to Jesus, who's going to believe who he really is, the good guys and the bad guys, you know. And then the parables and miracle stories in, in chapters 4 and 5. This is who Jesus is. What he said is what he did. And then in chapter six, verse, uh, chapter 6 through chapter 8, verse 21, is on the road with Jesus. And chapter uh, 8, verse 22 through 9, and verse 50, Jesus with his disciples. And in the final section of that first one, you have final glimpses of Jesus' life in public years. Like I said, that's probably going to frustrate you. That's the real flyover piece of the flyover message. Now, the second part, from chapters 11 through 16, it, it's toward the end of his life. The last week of his life, it's, it's generally centered in Jerusalem. And, and notice what happens. You have events that lead up to the crucifixion in chapters 11 and 12. You have the Olivet Discourse. That's something you want to really kind of get ready for. That's going to be a really interesting time because as we preach through the Olivet Discourse, we preach about Jesus' discourse on Olivet, which is about 
answering questions about things to come. That's just really interesting, and I'm going to really earn my money then, too. And then uh, chapters 14 and 15, the last days of Jesus' life, Mark's passion story. You understand that Christians have often referred to Jesus' death as his passion. You understand that, right? And, and the last days of Jesus' life, Mark's version of the passion story. In chapters 14 and 15, what's next? You guessed it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's just a short treatment in Mark. And the players, the characters, in the short treatment on Jesus' resurrection of Mark, it's interesting to notice who they are. It's not what you might think. And he didn't write this by accident. You know, this is very thoughtful. He wrote what he wanted to write. The Spirit of God inspired carried him along, breathed into him to write what he wrote, the way he wrote it. This is the way the Word of God is. And we're going to see that in a minute. I'm going to give you some applications tonight. I know you're shocked we're already there, but we are. And I'm going to give them to you. This won't take more than, you know, a couple of hours. The heart of everything is belief in who Jesus is. In Mark 8, look there quickly. Mark chapter 8, there's a story that's told in verse 27. Mark chapter 8 and verse 27 and this is when Jesus is taking his disciples away to Caesarea Philippi. Yes, I've been there, yes. And it was an interesting place. It's up toward the mountains, toward Lebanon, toward the north fringe of Israel, and it's a beautiful place. Pastor Burch, how many times have you been there? Four? Five? Three times. So you could be telling some of these stories. And, and it's a beautiful place, a place where a lot of people wanted to get away. Jesus takes his disciples there. The place is lush with growth. It's beautiful water that's running. And it's on the road here that Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he throws this little nugget of teaching out in the form of a question. So who do men say that I am? And who do you think that I am? Dave Savaka is here tonight. And how many of you are not members? Well, no, let's not ask that. How many of you are members of the church? Raise your hand if you're a member of the church. Amen. I see those hands. We pastors like to say that. Now, if you weren't able to raise your hand, we want you to consider that. We have a little class we can take you through, and we'll treat you real special. And then we'll have an interview. And if Dave Savaki, he's one of our dickens, and if, if he is in that meeting, he's going to say this. What am I going to say, Dave? Who is Jesus to you? He's going to say, who is Jesus to you? This is a very important question. You know, everybody has an opinion about Jesus. Everybody has an idea about Jesus. And, and that can be answered a lot of different ways. Who is Jesus? Like, he's a creator. He's my savior. He's my king. He's the Lord of lords. He's God in the flesh. He's man and he's God. You could just, all those would be right answers. Or you could have wrong answers. Who is Jesus to you? Well, he was a great teacher. That's as far as it goes. You know how people do. He was a great moral leader. He was one of the great leaders of one of the, of the great religions of the world. You know, these are all, eh, wrong answer. Yeah, wrong answer. Who is Jesus to you? And this is the heart of this book. Mark is laying out the thing that if you can't get what Jesus said and what Jesus did, that he is the Christ, the anointed one, very God of very God, you, you, you swing and miss, you strike out, it's all over, you lose the game. Here in 27, Jesus and his disciples went to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? He's kind of like going on the outskirts, and now he's going to go to the heart here. Who do men say that I am? And so they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? He's asking the Dave Savaka question. Who is Jesus to you? Who am I? 
This is a big question. You get it right, you get everything else right. You get it wrong, you get everything else wrong. And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them they should tell no one about him. It's not time, you know, but, but he got the answer right. The heart of everything is your true heart understanding belief of who Jesus is in each of the Gospels. That's true. You see that in Matthew, of course. It's building a case for who Jesus is. Listen, folks, get that, you know, settled. If you're a young person, get that settled. Who is Jesus? Everything. Listen, if Jesus is who he said he is, the Bible is true, and now you have something to build your life on like a rock. And when other people have questions and problems and difficulties, and they're just going off into crazy stuff, if Jesus is who he said he is, you don't do that. You don't go there. And they're gonna, you're going to get taught all kinds of crazy stuff. You're going to get lured into all kinds of bad situations that would be damaging to you. Keep in mind, but who is Jesus Christ? Is Jesus who he said he is? That's the heart of this. The heart of everything is who is Jesus. That's an application here that you couldn't miss. And, that, and you see this too, that true greatness is in serving Jesus. Now, this is interesting because... Um, Marcus, they use his, his Latin name, right? Marcus, he loses his Latin name. He's probably in Rome, writing to Christians in Rome who are influenced by Roman values, and Romans valued power and authority, right? They were like, the Rome ruled the world. And to, in Rome, it was the value was power and authority. And so when he writes about Jesus to this group, what does he say? He's the servant of all. He's not like, he's the boss of everyone. He continually emphasizes this through the stories that he tells of Jesus and the things that Jesus said to his disciples whenever they were having these debates about who was the greatest. It's just like they needed to go over this and over this. You know, who's the greatest? The one who serves the least of all is the greatest. Like, that's like totally, you know, that short circuits the Roman wiring and probably ours too a lot. And you see that in a number of places for instance, you see it there in chapter 10 and verse 35. Uh, chapter 10 and verse 35, and we already kind of talked about this. But again, James, John, sons of Zebedee, come to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> it's like you're the genie in the bottle and I have a couple of wishes. You know, He says, What do you want me to do for you? They said, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand, the other on your left in your glory. Jesus said, do you know what you ask? Now, now skip down. We'll get to that a little bit later, but skip down to verse 42. Jesus called them to himself. He says, you know those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever desires to be first shall become slave of all. Yowie. <laughs> Yowie, right? Is there anything in you that kind of goes, ooh, when you read that, it's like, I, I'm in trouble. Anybody? You know, it's, 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 because we have, a lot of our time is like how to get to the front of the line, how to get the first car in the line, how to get the most of you, how do you, and he said, just be the servant of all. That's not easy stuff. But this true greatness is what he's saying. Another application is that serving Jesus is going to require sacrifice. And right here in the same text, look at verse 38. They say, hey, we want to be in the time. He goes, okay, that's uh, going to require that you are baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized which is like kind of a subtle reference to, I'm going to die, you know. <laughs> Are you guys ready for this? And before I'm going to get rejected, and they're going to beat me and spit on me and reject me, and it's like, you ready to go? You, you, you really want to be? You want that? Is that what you, you know? I think that's where he's going. Jesus says to them, verse 38, you do not know <laughs> what you ask. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said glibly, we are able. (laughs) Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But then he goes, but I'm not going to make you any guarantees about who's on my right hand and who's on my left. But I will guarantee you this. I'm going to suffer and you're going to suffer. So he says, Get in your mind who Jesus is, and that's going to solve a lot of problems for you in your life. In application, Mark says this. Mark says, if you really want to be great, do like Jesus and be a ser- one who serves. Keep working on that. <laughs> then he says serving Jesus is going to require suffering, sacrifice, and he's going to be an example of that. And there's something more. When you fail, start over. And when others fail, help them start over. Now, why do I say this? Because if you, if you think about, you know, you want to think about, Whenever you're reading a passage of Scripture, you want to set it up. Like, when was it written? Who wrote it? What were the circumstances of its writing? I mean, we, we say this over and over again because the, the heart of understanding the Bible is context. That's one of the biggest things is the context. And if we rightly understand the Bible, then, we, then it's not just a mystical kind of book that we use for, you know, kind of like, you know, biblical roulette where we feel good about things. But rather, we really truly understand what is being said. Same with Mark. So who is this guy? It's interesting, among other things, and you should read up on him, but he goes, this is, this is the Mark that went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. Right? How'd he do? You remember? He didn't do very well. He quit and came home. And then there was contention between Paul and Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is Mary, Mark's mother's brother. Bar- Bar- Barnabas is Mark's uncle. So he has a special loyalty to him probably because of a couple of things. One, Barnabas is Barnabas, and he's one of the most beautiful characters in the Bible. He's the guy that encourages everybody wherever he goes. And also he's related to him. So he's a little more likely to say, give him another chance. Paul says, like, Paul, I look at Paul, perhaps I'm wrong, this is my biblical imagination, as kind of a driven, focused, he's like, look, you know, we got it. Do you understand? It needs to be a missionary. We're going to have to roll with this one. Let's go. And we got all, he, this guy's a drag. You know, he's not, he, he went back on us, so he says no. And, you know, I'm just shortening the story up, that later in the ministry, there are three places in the Bible that profess that Mark had a comeback and that Mark became useful again. Don't you just love places in the Bible like that? I do. And even this one in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11, where Paul himself writes and says, he is useful to me in the ministry. Where there was a time, of course, when he said, I'm willing to fight over it. We're not using this guy anymore. And to me, it's like, oh my, think about this. Here's a guy who writes one of the books of the Bible. God inspires him to write one of the books of the Bible. He had been a missionary washout at one time. But because of God and his grace and because of guys like Barnabas to help restore him and because of Paul's willingness to be entreated, we have the ministry of this guy. And this is really interesting. The Bible never says that Mark performs a miracle. The Bible never, he may have, but the Bible doesn't record it. The Bible never says that Mark preaches a message but he's useful, and his book endures. I had a guy say to me this week, hey, I, I want to serve the Lord all my life, but I'm not really sure that I should be a preaching pastor. That's what he told me. I'm like, well, I've, I actually took a, my iPhone, and I 
took a, a picture of Herbert Lockyer's biographical sketch of Mark where it talks about this, which is pretty good reading, and I sent it to him. Read this. Here's a guy who, as far as we know, we don't know, there was, none of his messages were recorded. Uh, you know, right? And none of, none of his, if he performed miracles, none of them were recorded. But he wrote a book of the Bible, and he, he got this statement from the, the Apostle Paul that he's useful. And, and, and so the question comes to, to, to all of us tonight, and that is, will, will you believe who Jesus is? And will you serve? And will you suffer? And will you be loyal to him who is unflinchingly loyal to you? Jesus will never, never be disloyal to you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He died for you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He will never tire of you. He will never stop listening to you. Jesus loves you, cherishes you. Will you be loyal to him? That's a great question. And Mark, he says, don't forget this. And he gets to the end of the book, and he's kind of rough on the disciples. Mark, in his record, is kind of rough on the disciples. Like when they have mistakes, he points them out. And when he gets to the end of the book, the heart of the end of the book in chapter 16 is, is the resurrection. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, who are the heroes in the end of this book? Women. Who are the loyal ones in the end of this book here on Mother's Day as we study women? And Mark just humbly says, the women were there. And it's almost like he's saying, and where were you? And where are you going to be? And it's almost like he's saying, and where am I going to be? Mark knew what it was like to, I believe, meet Jesus. And Mark knew what it was like to follow Jesus. And Mark knew what it was like to fail and to have to and fall on his face. And Mark knew what it was like to get restored and start over. And Mark knew what it was like to finish faithful. And pen all the books of the Bible. This week I had a Cool experience. Um, and if you're, we're here on Wednesday night, forgive me, I'm repeating something I said because I, I want to, if you don't mind. But, but I had an experience. Tuesday morning, I, I got a call from some friends, and they, they, they told me, hey, there's a great conference going on up north. You, you, you should come to a lot of young pastors, a lot of real theologically heavy stuff, good stuff, you know, and, and, and the singers are going to be there, and it's going to be a lot of my friends will be there and colleagues, and my, one of my nephews would be there. And, and I thought, yeah, I'd like to go to that. I said, yeah, yeah, I think so. Pencil me in. We'll see. And then I got word there was going to be another meeting, and it was going to be at this, this little tiny church right here out in the country, out by Litchfield. It's actually Litchfield's hardly a town, and this is in South Litchfield, which isn't a town. It's just like out there in the middle of nowhere, real pretty place. Uh, just a handful of pastors were going to be gathering there, and most of them old guys. Uh, I would be young among, among this bunch. And, and I got in the car that morning, and I, I knew this was the meeting I should go to, so I, I went to this meeting. And the man speaking that day was 78 years old. And he talked about what he learned in 50-some years of full-time service to the Lord. It was so good. It was so good. And down in the basement where we're drinking this awful church coffee, you know, and, 
and, and gnawing on, on various nice things. The ladies did a nice job. And they had regular and decaf. I wondered, with all the old folks, it's going to all be decaf. And maybe I should buy some coffee, real coffee, before I go. But I, I went there, and they were faithful. They have nice, fresh, caffeinated and, and decaffeinated coffee. It was very nice. It was in a basement. And then we were kind of like talking with different people. And there were a couple of pastors there. One of them pastored a little church over in southern Michigan. And he had just recently retired. And he said that he had been at one church for 42, I think it was 42 years and six months, or 41 years and six months. It was a long time, over four decades. I was just like, wow. <laughs> that's pretty cool, you know? That's, that's pretty good. And he's just a simple, humble guy. Just like 40, and his wife there, they served the Lord all those years. Love the Lord, preaching the gospel. Little church in the country, little, little village. Another pastor there, Don Harkey, pastored, uh, in, pastor is still actively pastoring in Cambria. And a solid guy, he and his wife were there. And he said, I'm working on my 40th year. This year I will have been in my church for 40 years. And I got to the end of the, of the message, and I, they had a little bit of business meeting. I wasn't really a part of that. So it was such a pretty day. I walked outside where I took this picture and I stood out there with the sun on my head, listening to the birds and looking out over this big field that was across from the church and those beautiful trees. And I, just, I prayed, God, please help me to be loyal to you, faithful to you until you come back or until I die. As long as you're loyal to me, help me to be loyal to you. And I just want to say to you tonight, wouldn't it be good if you said the same thing? God, I want you to help me be loyal to you all my life. And if you know somebody right now that's struggling with that, and often people will, be a Barnabas to them. Please, be a Barnabas. Make sure they know you love them. Make sure they know you love them. Make sure they know you believe in what God can do with the vilest offender who truly believes I, I read a tweet today from a guy that said, Mom, thank you for praying for me for years to come back to the Lord. I wish you had been alive to see it. <laughs> it's like, oh my. 